Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been looking at um, basically word by word through 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7. We came to the end of that section last week and this morning kind of depart from just looking at a word to a passage looking at verses 8 through 13 complete, completing some of the subject that Paul's been dealing with um, and I hope hopefully Lord willing next week maybe the week after to come back at the whole chapter again and see the beauty of, of how this chapter fits the book and how it um, solves a lot of the problems the Corinthians were having and a lot of the problems we have as well but let me read for us 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. What I want you to see Paul is doing in this section of Scripture, he's returning, really, to verse 1 and 2. Go back to the chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. If I speak with tongues, remember he mentioned tongues there, but don't have love, that's no good. Uh, verse 2, if I have prophecy, no love, that's no good. End uh, of verse 2, if I have knowledge, all knowledge. Faith to move mountains. No love, that's not good. You get down to chapter 8, you've got prophecy. You've got tongues. You've got knowledge. He's coming back to that theme that without love, we are nothing. And we, we have to understand um, that love's more important than these other gifts. Gift of prophecy, gift of tongues, gift of knowledge, those were the, the greater gifts. And he had been wrestling with the Corinthians over nine more gifts, really. Um, and they were struggling with which gifts were the greatest and how to discard gifts and get the greater gifts. And he wants to show them something better. It just re better. It, it reminded me of Christmas time when you've got a lot of kids in the room and you let them go at it, and they open their gifts. And if you've, if you've been in that kind of environment, you know, it doesn't take long. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Okay. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Oh, what'd you get? I want that. And they snatch this one, you know, and they're going through all these gifts so fast if you just let them have it. At some point, the parents say, oh, I wish we hadn't have done that. You know, I didn't want them just kind of discarding the gifts. I wanted them to appreciate the love of the giver and appreciate the love of their siblings or whoever else had gifts in the room that it too quickly turned into all about the gifts and not so much about the love. 
And you've probably all been in a situation like that. And that's what the Corinthians were facing. It became for them all about the spiritual gifts and less about the love. And Paul says, we've got to fix that. I've got to show you there's a better way. Look down at the end of verse 12. I mean, chapter 12. Begin at verse 27. So that you get the context flowing into chapter 13. So 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 27. He says, Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, and second prophets, and third teachers, and then miracles, and then these gifts of healings, and helps, and administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? In the, these are rhetorical questions. The answer is no. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? No. All are not workers of miracle, are they? No. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you, don't miss this line, underline it, circle it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. And I show you a still more excellent way. Like, if you had all those gifts, you would say, man, that's pretty significant. He said, no, 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 no. You missed my point. If you don't realize there's something greater than all of those gifts. And that's love. And we've been dealing with that. And he picks on the three greater gifts because that's what everybody wanted. They wanted this gift of tongues and this gift of prophecy and this knowledge. It's, if you went back, we'll look at it in a little bit. Earlier in the chapter, knowledge was also called word of knowledge. So if, if you had those three greater gifts, you would really think you were something. And Paul says, no, there's something better than that. And that's this thing called love. Because you could have those three greatest gifts that he mentions in verses 1 and 2. And then he mentions them again down in verse 8. If you had those three, but you didn't have love, you'd be worthless. Love is the greater thing I need to see in the church, is what Paul's saying. It's the greater thing that God wants to see from us. Love is supreme. Love is more excellent than all the gifts. So let's look at it. It's an argument, verses 8 through 13. It's an argument to don't miss the love focus. It's like, I call it a 2020 focus because, you know, hindsight's 2020. We say that all the time. If I could just look back and see what I just did, man, I wouldn't have done it that way. It's 2020. I see it differently. Well, Paul gave us love at the beginning, and then he kind of, at verse 18, he looks back and says, Did you get it? Verses 1 through 3, I told you without love you were nothing. Verses 4 through uh, 7, I told you how excellent love was. Can you look back at that now and see with clear focus, love is the most excellent thing? Well, if you can't yet, he gives us four contrasts um, in this section to show the supremacy of love. Look at them with me. Um, verse 8, love never fails. Uh, if there are gifts of prophecy, done away. So he, the contrast is temporal or eternal. Prophecy, it's temporal. It's going to be done away. But love, that's eternal. Can you see the contrast that love's so much more significant? Uh, verse 9. Uh, 
well, I'll keep reading verse 8. The gift of prophecy to be done away. If there are tongues, again, temporary, it, it's going to cease. If there's knowledge, done away. So the three greater gifts, they're all temporary gifts. Verse 9. For we know in part, so here we got the contrast between the partial and the complete. If you have the gift of knowledge, prophecy, tongues, nobody had all of the prophecy. Nobody had all of the word of knowledge. These are revelatory gifts. Nobody had all of the revelation at this point. It says you, you have partial in this church and partial in that church and partial with this person. But love will get you to a completeness that you don't have otherwise. Verse 11, uh, he uses immaturity to maturity contrast. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. It's, it was childish. We get that. When you grow up, you become mature. So that's where I want you to be, in that pure, mature state. And then, verse 12, he uses a contrast between obscurity and clarity. He gives this illustration of a mirror dimly. So a dirty mirror, or maybe in those days, they would even shine up a piece of bronze or... Um, copper or tin, that was their mirror. It's a dim kind of mirror compared to other images you would get. So it's, you, know, you have that view, and then you have this face-to-face, -face clear, unobscured view. He says, love is that. Clarity. It's, it's, it's clear we know this. But if you go this route of emphasizing gifts, it's going to lead you into obscurity. Now, as you think about these gifts here, timing is crucial to his argument. The timing of when, when these contrasts takes place. And the clue is in verse 10. Verse 10 says, when the perfect comes. So there's the timing clue. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So you've got these temporary things they are going to be done away with. You've got these obscure things they are going to be done away with. You've got these um, uh, incomplete things done away with. When? When the perfect comes. Well, what's that? What's the perfect? And when does it come? There are three views. And uh, dominant views, if you go to commentaries or Google it, uh, the perfect comes you're going to get one of three views. Let me give them to you real quick so you can work through them. First of all, people say the perfect is perfect love. When we get to a place of perfect love, love is full bloom, that's when the perfect comes. View number one. Second is, no, perfect doesn't refer to love. Perfect refers to the perfect Christ. So when the perfect Christ returns, the final coming of Christ, then we get what Paul is talking about, this excellency of love. And then the third view is the perfect refers to the perfect word of God, the, the completion of the scriptures. And when we get the completion of the scripture, then we see face to face. Well, let's look through them each real quickly so I'll give you just a, a brief evaluation of each one. If, if you take the perfect love view, that uh, you're saying, well, they didn't have perfect love now. Because the incomplete, partial love they have uh, needs to grow. Well, we, we would all agree we need more love in our life. But did they have the perfect love? I think they already had it. I don't think that's 
what the perfect is referring to. You just go back in verse 4 and, and, and look at the description of the love they had access to right now. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does, love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's a pretty perfect love. You know, that's a full-bloom love. I don't see any deficiencies, you know, when you start looking at the love they have. And think about when Corinthians was written. Uh, it was after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So they had already seen the perfect example of love for them with Christ on the cross. Christ even declared in the Gospel of John, he says, greater love has no man than this. There's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Of course, he laid down his life for us. For the Corinthians and, and we with them, we have seen demonstration and teaching all on perfect love. I don't think Paul was asking them to wait for perfect love that their partial would be done away with to wait for that he's been teaching them you have the ability right now through Christ through the spirit to have love in your life this kind of love Christ has uh, and you know it, it, it doesn't fit that love was partial at this point it was it was complete well, let's go to the second view, the view that the perfect refers to the perfect Christ coming again, the final coming of Christ. Um, uh, when Christ comes, he's going to destroy the contrast, obviously, if that's the perfect time. Well, first of all, you have to assume. It, some people say, it says, when it's, it says in here, well, we're going to see him face to face. So we know that, so that's referring to Christ coming. But it doesn't say that. It says, see face to face. It doesn't say see him face to face. That would be 1 John chapter 3, see him. This just says face to face, which is in the context of clarity. We understand face to face is a phrase to remove the obscurity. I see it up, up close and personal, in my face. That's the way it's used here. Also, it doesn't say when he comes. It says when the perfect comes would have been so easy if it was about the final coming of Christ to just give us the pronoun. When he comes, you know, he clears all this up. Doesn't say that. Doesn't use that pronoun when he comes. When the perfect comes. So I don't think it quite fits. And then also, if all of this was referring to the final coming of Christ, then it removes the contrast. It says these things cease when the perfect comes. So if the purpose is the final coming of Christ, then none of these things cease until Christ comes. Well, what would be the point of telling us they cease if they don't cease? So his point is they do cease, and we're going to see them cease. We're going to see them done away. He doesn't say we, we wait for the final coming when everything's changed. So it removes the contrast. I don't think it can be the final coming of Christ. I don't think it can be a full-blown love. The third option that we seem to get is that the perfect refers to the Word of God. 
Now, in this case, we have a synonym where the Word of God is used in James 1. Let me show it to you. Look at James 1, verses 23 through 25. We have a synonym for the Bible, and the synonym is perfect. Hebrews, James, Peter. James 1, verse 23 to 25. James saying, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word... Context here being the Word of God. Anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at, and you would expect right there, the Word of God, because he's just used that phrase, if you look at the Word and you're not a doer, you would expect it again, looks intently at the Word of God, but here he uses the word, looks intently at the perfect law. The law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer. So he's using the same analogy, doer of the word, hearer of the word, doer of the word. But effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So the perfect law is a synonym for the word of God. Uh, that was language common to James common to his audience, common to the Apostle Paul in their day to refer to the Word of God as the perfect law. They had the Old Testament completed. They were completing the New Testament at this point, and it would be the perfect law of God, completing all that God had started in the Old Testament. They understood that was happening through them. Um, they were writers of the scripture and they understood that process. I think that's what Paul has given us over in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, that scripture is the perfect law of God, the clear law of God. You're going to see it and know it face to face. You're going to be up close and personal with the whole law of God soon in their lifetime, in their generation. It was coming to them piece by piece through prophecy, through word of knowledge, through tongues, God was revealing the scriptures to them. They knew it in part. They would soon know it altogether. When the perfect comes referring to the scriptures. And it's interesting, James uses one of the same and different way analogy, the whole idea of looking in a mirror. Uh, it's like, you know, we need to be looking into the word of God, reflecting, um, our, letting our lives reflect what we see there. Let me, let me show you the gifts that the um, Corinthians were dealing with. Look back at chapter 13. Uh, let's just pick it up about verse 8. Excuse me, chapter 12, verse 8. could read the whole chapter, but that would take a lot of time. Verse 8, for, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So that was the Corinthians church. They were all being given these gifts by the one and same Spirit. He said you should be unified because of the one Spirit. But instead of being unified, they were fighting with one another. 
Instead of focusing on loving one another, they're focusing on gifts. And then they start putting people down because your gift's not as important as their gift. And the gifts that seem to rise to the top, the three greatest gifts, are the ones that you would expect to have the most revelation through. Revelatory gifts. A word of knowledge from God. A tongue from God. A, a prophecy from God. And then, of course, the church had to evaluate whether or not it really was from God or not by using the scriptures to develop the complete Bible that we have. That's what was going on. They were fighting over these gifts and significance through these gifts. And Paul is saying, you've got to quit the fighting over gifts because it's not about the gifts. The gifts are there to give us the word of God. And the word of God is here to bring us back to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love one another as ourselves. Um, look at Hebrews chapter 1. So let think with me, 1 Corinthians, kind of first generation. They're still getting the scriptures uh, through the prophets. Now look at Hebrews chapter 1 and think second generation. We're still in the first century, I think, but we're in the second generation of believers when you get to the, the book of Hebrews. Let me read two verses and, and, and see the flow. Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke, don't miss the word after. So it's done, in a sense. After he spoke, long ago to the fathers in the prophets. So you had this prophecy. You had words of prophecy, words of knowledge, words of tongues. After he spoke uh, to the fathers in the prophets, and in many portions in various ways. And we just went through some of those many portions in various ways in the book of Corinthians. In these last days, last days here referring to that last time of seeing one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New. Uh, the author of Hebrews says we're coming into the New Testament in the fullest sense. That the old national church is going away. The new international church to every nation, tribe, and tongue is coming. And it's coming how? Verse 2, in these last days, so it's the last days and even first days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So now he speaks to us through Christ, who is the Word of God made flesh. That's what Paul's dealing with. We've had these partial prophecies coming together, and I know you guys are desiring those gifts, but now God's going to do away with that, and he's going to complete the Bible. He's going to give us all of his scriptures in written form. Um, in our day, only one mirror remains. It's the Word of God. You look now at this mirror, and you evaluate your life to see how God wants you to live. It's the, that's why we say it's the only rule for faith and practice. What do I believe? The Bible tells me so. What do I do? The Bible tells me so. It has now reached this complete uh, state so that we can know God's will to us, God's revelation to us. We don't have to wait for the next word of knowledge tongue, or prophecy. It's, those things are done away. Well, uh, think about the application then. If that's what's going on here, 
Love will never fail you. These other things, they're partial, they're temporary, they're incomplete, they cease. But love's not going to fail you. That's the way he starts. Then let's stay with love. Let's quit the fighting over our gifts and our theories, all these things outside of us. Let's get back to loving God and one another. That's Paul's application to the Corinthians. Let's, for us, let's take heed to the rebuke of childishness. Paul is saying, you know, you guys are acting kind of childish, kind of immature. You're hanging on to the gifts when you should be hanging on to the love. The gifts are going to go. They're not, you know, batteries are going to run out. They're going to break down. But love's not. It's kind of childish to be holding the wrong things. Let's get back to the love of God that we need for one another. Christians were hurting one another in, in Corinth over gifts, speaking down to one another because that gift wasn't as great as their gift. And they thought they could manipulate the gifts and make their gifts better than other people's gifts. Um, you know, I, I sometimes have Christians call attention to their gifts different ways. I've had people come uh, to me and say, David, I had a dream last night. What do you think of it? I said, I don't know. Tell me the dream. I really think God's speaking to me through this dream. Well, he may be. What does it say? You know, and you go through this dream. Well, maybe God's speaking. I said, how does that How's that dream leading you into the scripture? What is the Bible saying to you through that dream and through scripture? What's the rule for your belief and your practice coming from the word of God? I know you've got this dream, but how is it getting you back here? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know what the Bible says. I just know what this dream says. And I'm thinking, ah, that's, that's not good. To say, I don't know what the Bible says, but I know what the dream says. So I think I need to follow the dream. See, that's childishness. That's not based on something that's absolute. It's your standard. And that's what the Corinthians wanted to do, is just go with, go with what somebody said. Their gift. They, they've got the gift. Let's, let's listen to them. Let's go with it. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You're putting way too much emphasis there. Let's let the word of God mature and grow and become perfect and complete. And let's evaluate ourselves through the word of God. Not through just one person doing this or that. And there's many times when, uh, even today, we hear one person say one thing, and we want to run with it. It sounds so good. And we need to hear this rebuke. Wait. Let's be cautious there. Um, let's not run too fast. Look, uh, as gifts evolve through the New Testament, it's interesting how they get less and less focused. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesians. And no, notice how he uses the gifts and the application in this passage. And of course, Paul knows all the gifts. He's the same person who's writing to the Corinthians. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 10. God, he, Christ, he descended is himself. Also, he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists. So you still had apostles living, Paul was one, prophets, evangelists. And then those emphasis moves to pastors and teachers, and that's kind of his list. Verse 12, why? For the equipping of the saints 
for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, childish, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. But now we're speaking the truth in love. And we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Notice the difference. Paul says it's it's time for us to be done with Listening to this word of knowledge and, and this prophecy and, and this tongue tossed to and fro. Is it right? Is it true? Is it not? He says, no. Now you have pastors and teachers who are teaching you the word of God. Go with that. And that word of God is equipping you. And not so much, it's not equipping you with all these various gifts. It's equipping you either to speak for Christ Or to serve for Christ. So be speaking for him in love. Be serving for him in love. And as you speak in love and serve in love, the church is built up in love and unity. And there's no division over gifts. There's a body growing based on the word of God. Have you ever wondered why you just have a few churches that seem to be struggling still with gifts and you can go into so many denominations and so many churches and you know there's no gift surveys and you know you don't you don't hear of word of knowledge you don't hear of tongues you don't hear of prophecy well paul says these things cease they were for a child time of immaturity and we grow into this being the completed revelation of God. And most of the body of Christ get that now. Others don't, and they need this rebuke to grow out and grow into the Word of God so that they can equip one another in love and in unity based on an absolute standard, the Bible, and not tossed to and fro wondering, did I just get a new prophecy or a new word of knowledge through a dream or something like that. So let's, let's, let's turn from mistaken priorities on words of knowledge or those kind of gifts and get back to the Word of God. Let's glory, number two, in love and not in giftedness. Um, we have a tendency to want to go back to the gifts all the time because I guess it's part of our innate nature to want to glory in giftedness. Something about being gifted makes us feel significant and important. And this goes across the spectrum of our life. Um, some of you watched football yesterday, right? You know, yeah, a lot of you did. All right. And, and as you look at football, it's just easy to say, man, that guy is gifted. He is talented. We are winning because he is so good at throwing the ball. Or he's so good at running the ball. What a talent. What a gift. What an ability. Now, let's take that same person. Let's say he's the quarterback. 
and he's really gifted, and you just think the world of him. See, you're glorying in his talent and his giftedness. But let's say he comes off the field, and you say something to him, and he says, oh, you dirty scum of the earth, or he says that to your wife or to your child or to your girlfriend or your friend, well, whoever. If he speaks vulgar words at you, you still say, ah, that's okay. He's so gifted, I want him. Or do you wish, I wish I could knock his block off. All of a sudden, giftedness goes out the window. Why? You can't really care more about love. I don't need him to just be good at what he does. I need him to love my wife, my family, my girl, whatever. That was just wrong. Evaluate, are we still glorying in giftedness? Or is love really more excellent? Is love really the more excellent way? God says it is. Number three, don't expect the future restoration of spiritual gifts. There are some people out there, and I'll, I'll bring this up somewhat in my revelation class. I appreciate Rob mentioning the discipleship classes are about to change. We've got three great discipleship, adult discipleship classes going on now, along with the senior high class, but the young adults are doing the book of Acts uh, right now, the next class is uh, uh, Doctrine, and the next class Colossians, in just two weeks that changes to uh, the book of Acts stays with us, we're doing Revelation and we're doing the book of Genesis great things, in the book of Revelation, one of the things we look at is end time views, and one uh, end time view is some people think that when just before Christ comes back, there's going to be a resurgence of spiritual gifts. And I don't think the Bible supports that. I think it's, it's a bad uh, interpretation of the timing or the phrase last days. But you can see it from 1 Corinthians 13. If Christ is coming back for his glorious bride, his bride's being called up in the air to meet Christ, at that time they're saying there should be a resurgence of spiritual gifts. Why? Because, see, the spiritual gifts was a time of immaturity. It was a time when you were less glorious, not more glorious. It was a time when you knew in part, when you knew temporally, when you, your vision was dim. Then we're going to, our vision is going to be wide open. See, they don't quite understand how to put all the scripture together with that view. So if some of you have been receiving that kind of interpretation we need to be praying for and working for a resurgence of the spiritual gifts because it's going to make us more glorious say no that's actually contrary to first corinthians 13 doesn't make us more mature it makes us less mature why would we want to return to a state of immaturity we don't want to be tossed to and fro fro anymore we want to grow through the absolute truth of the word of god so we don't need gifts we need love And we need the Word of God. And then number four, be cautious. Be cautious of all leading apart from Scripture. That's what was happening at root here. I want these greater gifts. God, I want to lead people. Well, God is the one by His Holy Spirit who moved men to speak the Word of God. 2 Peter 1 tells us. And they were seeking these gifts to speak for God instead of God seeking them and speaking through them. Lots of times we want to just do what we want to do. 
instead of following the word of God. Be cautious of that. You think you need a new dream? You think you need a new providential circumstance to give you direction? You think you need another word of knowledge? A lot of us, I've sought it, you've sought it at times. God, just speak to me. Do something. Instead of saying, wait, the scriptures are sufficient. And there are principles here that can direct me in my situation and can guide me. Instead of looking at that sufficiency, sufficient scriptures, many times we're looking for an event or for a guideline or for a rule or for some circumstance to happen. Oh, now I know what God wants me to do. Be cautious of that. Lots of people today, especially with being in a pandemic, being in uh, terrorist movements, all sorts of things going on. And people have so many ideas. And by the way, anytime I bring up the pandemic, some of you are rolling your eyes. Oh, no, he's not going to talk about the pandemic again, is he? And I'm thinking to myself, what do you want? Do you want a preacher that says, uh, as far as the pandemic or anything else you're in, just go out and do whatever's right in your own eyes? Or do you want a preacher who says, here's the word of God. Stand on it. Follow it. Let's examine our lives by the searchlight of scriptures. Let's follow the word of God instead of following whatever's right in our own eyes or in somebody else's eyes or somebody else's science. The believers are those who have the standard. We can do it right the first time. We follow the scripture. So if somebody's been giving you guidance about how you need to do this or that during this pandemic or any other thing, say, well, okay, what passage of scripture are you getting that from? What, what's really guiding us here? What's directing us? What's the principle? How has God, through his word, not through your heart, not through your indigestion, what has God, through his word, told you? Because when we start picking and choosing, we're no better than those in the time of judges following every sort of sin and doing only what's right in our own eyes. If we do what's right in God's eyes, we love him. He's pleased, and we love his church, and he's pleased. One of the most important obedience that we can ever do, you know it, the two greatest commandments, love God and love one another. We're living during a time when marriages are crumbling. We're just not compatible. We're not, our gifts don't match. Children are being abandoned in the womb and outside of the womb. Single people are being ignored. It's unimportant and insignificant. What do we need? More gifts? More compatibilities? Or do we need the Word of God in love? Do we need to love God? Do we need to love one another? Let's pray together. Father, you still show us after centuries, a more excellent way. It's easy in one sense. We know it already, and yet every day we turn away from loving our spouse, from loving our children, 
from loving our neighbor, from loving our enemies, and from loving our God. Forgive us, O Lord. We repent. Turn us back to a more excellent way. And may the love of God be seen in the word of God to direct us in what we should believe and in what we should practice. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.